Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Welcome back. Today I am featuring one of my all-time favorite novels, Far From the Matting Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Now I'm planning to do two episodes on the novel. Today I'm going to give an introduction to the story and characters, and next time I will dig into the heart of the story a little bit more. I will have a special guest to discuss the story with me who also loves this book, perhaps even more than I do. Far From the Matting Crowd is the story of Bathsheba Everdeen. Fiercely independent and spirited, Bathsheba inherits her uncle's farm in Weatherby and shocks her neighbors by insisting on running it herself. Her beauty and boldness soon captivate three different men who over the course of the novel vie for Bathsheba's heart. It is a sweeping pastoral story of love and obsession and the fallacy of pride and vanity. Far From the Matting Crowd is one of Hardy's happier novels. I have not read any of his other works yet, and I've always shied away from them because of how they can be a little bit on the depressing side, a little somber and incredibly sad. But after reading Far From the Matting Crowd again, I am very interested in reading more of his work. I'm older now, and so I think when I first read it, I was young and was captured by the romance in this novel, and I couldn't bear to think of his other books not having happy endings. But now that I'm older and I have a deeper appreciation for his writing and his work, I think I might tiptoe into some of his other novels. Before I go on to talk about the style of the novel and the characters that populate it, I want to give a brief word about reading Victorian novels in case you feel a little intimidated by them because it's easy to feel that way as you're reading it. This is my second time to read Far From the Matting Crowd, and I read it for a book club. It was my choice for the book club, and 20 years have passed since first reading it, and I had a little bit of a difficult time at the very beginning. It took me a little while to get into the book. I felt like I was learning to read all over again. I, I find that a lot of times if I've had a long break since reading a Victorian novel or, or a, even Jane Austen. So one of the great classics, and it's been a long time since I've read one of them. Maybe I've been reading other, other types of books. And when I come back to it, I feel like I'm having to learn to read all over again with just the complexity of those works. So the sentences are often dense and complex. I'm not going to sugarcoat that and and pretend as if they're not a little difficult to read, but they are well worth it. And every time I sit down to read a Victorian novel, as I said, it's I feel like I'm learning to read all over again. I have to remind myself to read slowly. So I give myself permission to revisit sentences if I need to. I don't worry about how long it takes me to comprehend things at the beginning. 
And it doesn't stay like this. You do get into a groove eventually. Carefully comb through the sentences for the meaning. This is because the author doesn't always speak plainly. It was a different time and a different sense of propriety. So Victorian literature does require work on the reader's part, but it is work that pays off. And don't let the complexity intimidate you. I have found that as I get into the book, I hit a rhythm and a stride and the writing style starts to click and it's no longer as difficult. So as I've been saying, I I really hit that groove and then I get completely immersed in the story and the characters. My friend, Rachel Atkinson, I have mentioned her before on the podcast and she has also been a guest. She has suggested listening to this on audio and other Victorian novels on audio, especially if you're having a little bit of difficulty, because she said that originally these were published in serial format and they were usually read aloud in a group. So the style makes it work especially well in auditory format. If you find the reading too difficult, try listening to an audiobook. It can be a very immersive experience. And think of it as if you are back in Victorian England, being read aloud to in a beautiful British accent. Audible has a free version if you are a member that I have heard is beautifully narrated. I have not listened to it yet, but I have heard from very reliable sources that it is beautifully done. On that note, I want to talk about Thomas Hardy's style for just a minute. Now, I have not read any of his other books, but Far From the Madding Crowd, as I was reading it, I thought of, this is like a pastoral Shakespearean drama. There are these comical moments in the novel with farmhands because it's an agricultural setting, but there are also these moments of tragedy mixed in with all the other moments in the book. Thomas Hardy was a poet. And he imbues the novel with poetic language and beautiful descriptions of landscapes and just the farming life in general, while still including the grit that comes with farming life. It takes some time getting used to his style, as I've already been talking about, but it is a very worthy endeavor. It is such a good book. Everyone in my book club was caught up in the story. We did this in two parts. And... Today we met and it was our last talk about Far From the Madding Crowd and everybody enjoyed it immensely. So it was great fun to discuss it. It's been great fun to reread it. And I really can't wait to share more about it with you. And hopefully if you haven't read it, you will also take the time to, and it's going to be time, but take the time to read it. I want to introduce the characters before I go any further. I know I have been doing that quite a bit and I hope that it's not too dull. But since I will be talking about this book again in another episode, I want to take the time to introduce the characters because they're such interesting characters. So as I said in the summary, the story revolves around Bathsheba Everdeen. And I really admire how Thomas Hardy portrays his heroine. She reminds me a little bit of Kristen Lovren's daughter, you know, a very favorite book of mine. And even in our discussion today, those of us who had read Kristen Lovren's Daughter kept finding ourselves comparing moments of Far From the Matting Crowd with Kristen Lovren's Daughter. And not that the stories are in any way similar, but there are some similarities in characters and in characters' motives. So Thomas Hardy really shows Bathsheba's flaws. She is beautiful, but she's also very vain and she's stubborn. And at times she's just very thoughtless. But Hardy also has made her sympathetic and a fascinating character. 
Not everyone in my book club <laughs> agrees with that. But she is one of the characters like Kristen, Lovren's daughter, who I read and I think, oh my goodness, this is a reflection back of my own character and my own flaws. I can see these things in myself. And so it's good for me to see that and to recognize that in me. I believe that God gives us these stories to do that at times, but also to have sympathy of not being in the place of judging this character, of knowing I know where she's coming from and extending a little bit of grace, being maddened by her in all of her moments of complete foolishness, but also having this sympathy and this grace for her and knowing if I were in that situation, I don't know that I would be any better than she is. Bathsheba has moments of self-awareness. She deals with regret and remorse at some very foolish behavior, which is especially detrimental to one character. It's a very thoughtless thing that she does, and it spins this one character into a path of obsession, and it's not good for them. But it wasn't done maliciously. It was a very thoughtless and impulsive and careless act, and unfortunately has a lot of repercussions. Bathsheba is also an admirable character in that she has an immense amount of grit and determination and strength. She is a farmer in a male-dominated profession and insists on running her farm without the help of a bailiff. She is complex, sometimes maddening, but I find her fascinating and I have a lot of sympathy for her. I do wish that she would have better taste in men earlier in the novel, but then we wouldn't get the wonderful drama that we get throughout it. Next, we have Gabriel Oak. One of the members of my book club described Gabriel Oak as the main character of the novel, and I would have to agree. I love Gabriel Oak. He is a man of deep character and integrity. He's just one of those characters that you just admire him so much. And when the novel opens, he is a fledgling owner of a sheep farm. He is in a higher social standing than Bathsheba at this moment in the book. When he first sees her, he is absolutely smitten. And hastily and awkwardly, he proposes to her. Not on the first meeting, but a little bit later. And it's just too soon. Bathsheba refuses. And then in a strange twist of fate, which sees Gabriel lose his farm and seek hired work, he becomes Bathsheba's shepherd. He continues to love Bathsheba from afar, and he is always looking out for her best interest. He is Bathsheba's voice of reason and one of the few people who do not stoke Bathsheba's vanity and one of the few people who will speak the truth to her. He is strong and steadfast and just one of my all-time favorite heroes in literature. Next, we have Mr. Boldwood. He is a wealthy neighboring farmer. He appears aloof, unnoticing of the opposite sex, and consumed by his farm. But he is not so aloof as we first assume. Bathsheba sends him an anonymous valentine declaring her love, but it is just and just. This is the thoughtless act that I was referring to earlier. And it's done just carelessly and selfishly to feed her vanity because Boldwood is one of the few men who have not noticed her beauty. Everyone else does, and she's aware of it, and she's aware that everyone else notices. And it bothers her that he has not made a big deal about it. This sets in motion an awakening of Boldwood's obsessive nature, and it is so detrimental. He becomes consumed with Bathsheba and thoughts of marrying her. And he's just a very sad and tragic character 
but also very frightening in the midst of all of that. You can think of him as one of those tragic characters in Shakespeare, and oh, you must read it to find out what happens with him. So those are two men that are vying for Bathsheba's affection, but the man who captures her eye is Sergeant Francis Troy. He is an insincere, vain, and feckless sergeant in the militia. He is also the lover of Fanny Robin, who I'll talk about in a minute, and later the husband of Bathsheba. He abandons Fanny, who he has promised to marry, after his eye is turned by Bathsheba. And it's not necessarily that he loves Bathsheba, but he enjoys flattering her and winning her over because she isn't, she's indifferent to him at first. And and that upsets him because he is vain as well. And he pursues her in order to stoke his ego and his vanity and abandons Fanny in the process. Definitely not one of my favorites. He has a very charming character, and there's a scene early on that he has with Bathsheba where he lays the flattery on thick. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, I I could find myself falling for this as well. I don't like his character by any means, but the flattery was so seductive to one's vanity, and it meets that desire of wanting to be thought of as beautiful to someone. It was a very good warning, I believe, and we'll talk more about that next time. But Troy is also very lazy and he nearly causes the financial ruin at Bathsheba because he is very fond of not working and of gambling and using her money. So it is not a wise match by any means. Lastly, we have poor Fanny Robin. In the beginning of the novel, she is a young maid at Bathsheba's uncle's farm, but she disappears before Bathsheba arrives. She follows Troy to his military camp after he's promised to marry her, and she is devoted to him, and she is such a tragic character. I can't say too much without giving things away, but you feel so deeply for her because she's utterly devoted to the fair weather Sergeant Troy, and you want so badly for things to be be well for Fanny, but hers is just a heartbreaking storyline, so be prepared for that. Now, as you read the book, there's some things that you'll want to pay attention to. One is the land. It is a character within itself. Hardy really gets the heart of agricultural life, and he does such a good job with his descriptions of it. He immerses you so much in that lifestyle and brings it to life so beautifully. I have heard people describe it before of his writing with, oh my goodness, he'd write so many pastoral passages and and how tedious they are to other people that I have talked to in previous years about this novel. But that is not a fair critique of his work. He does such a good job of writing about this way of life that is quickly passing away. He's writing after the Industrial Revolution, and it's not going to be much longer before this type of life will be gone and replaced. And it's wonderful to be able to come back to this writing and to see it anchored so beautifully in the land. It always reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden and God's intent for us to work the land, to cultivate the land, to make it beautiful, to produce good things from the land. 
And I just really appreciate this about Hardy and how he uses the land within his story. And you do get that that longing for the new heaven and the new earth. If you've listened to the yearling episode, you know that I've talked about that, especially with farming and, and how much the toil of it can make us long for God's new creation. And you find that again in Far From the Matting Crowd. Also, it depicts so much of how in the past, people's lives were tied to the liturgical year, which we have lost a lot of in modern times. But there are the feast days and they are tied a lot of times to just what is happening in the seasons with farming. And that's fascinating. It also has a little bit of the pagan threads woven throughout it. It doesn't completely break with the church year. So there are those moments where the superstitious mixes with the liturgical, which you would find in farming life, I believe, anyway. Hardy was not, from what I've read, a believer. But there's still that remnant throughout his work of the staple that the church was in people's lives at one time. Another thing to look out for and pay attention to in the novel are class distinctions. Bathsheba feels superior to Gabriel. She refuses him at first because even though monetarily Gabriel is in a higher standing than Bathsheba, she believes that she is a from a higher class than him. So she does look down on him because he's not from her same social sphere. You see this really play out in Gabriel's fall and fortune and, and just how he is treated differently, which Hardy does such a good job of, even though Gabriel is put through these tragic circumstances in a lower social standing than he was previously. He is such a hard worker and he goes on and he finds dignity in his work that it does not, this fall from fortune does not damage his self-worth. He takes a hit, but he also has an appreciation and a value of hard work and doing work well. And I very much appreciate that. You're also going to see types of love covered in the book. Very disordered love, some very obsessive love, and very steadfast and true love. And that is going to be covered more next week. But I want you to just save that. If you start to pick up this and read it in the meantime, just just tuck that part away. And also, it is a great study of vanity and pride and how detrimental it is to ourselves and to those around us. I have thought long and hard as I prepared this episode of what it is about this story that captivates me so much. And I was afraid when I reread it that I wouldn't love it as much as I did the first time. When I first sat down to read it, I thought, oh no, this isn't going to be the same as when I was younger. I had just that complete, it's the age of just romanticism and and just being swept up in the love story. And I was reading it this time and I thought, oh no, what if I just, what if it doesn't hold for me? But I'm happy to report that it did. So what is it that captivates me so much about this story? One of the things that especially appeals to me is how much of a sweeping, melancholic, romantic story it is. That is, <laughs> That has resurfaced as I have read it this time. And, but also the characters. Gabriel Oak is the type of hero I love. He is steadfast and strong. He's hardworking and content. He's honest and forthright and long-suffering and kind. You see so many virtues exhibited in his character. And Bathsheba is the type of character, if I am honest, I can see myself in. We can thank Hardy for not hiding her flaws. And yet, she's sympathetic. So yes, now and when I was younger, I was captivated by the romance in the story. 
But after my second reading, I am also caught up in the sweeping tragic comedy of this pastoral tale. And I really love it because of its nod to Shakespeare throughout. I really have seen this on this reading. It just has this spirit of a pastoral Shakespeare, and I love it so much for that. So if you also like these sweeping romantic stories with just a tinge of melancholy, but you know it's going to end happy in the long run, and you also love side characters that give great comic relief, you will enjoy this book. I can't wait to talk more about it in the next episode. I hope you will read it as well because it's such a good book and I want more people to read it. I am so thankful I picked it up again and enjoyed it as much, if not more, than the first time. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at beth at a well-read life. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's awellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week and cozying up with a good book and a cup of warm tea. Until next time. Mm -hmm.